0: 10 years ago, a couple of film geeks were sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. No, it didn't happen. But instead, they created The Film File, the film show for film geeks by Film Geeks. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the A-Team. No, Welcome to the Film File. I'm Lee
1: Ford. <laughs> I'm Andy Beacon. I am the A team. And we love it when a plan comes together. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm enjoying a week off work. I'm chilling out. Oh, and I'm um, finally you. getting around to a few things that you've been saying I should get around to for quite some time. First of all, I jumped on Last of Us Part 2 yesterday. Just thought like, I'll jump on it for about an hour, see how it goes. And about seven hours later, I was like, I really need to stop <laughs> playing this. I'm, I'm so hooked. It's into great, it, isn't it? It it its such a good story. Married Man, it draws ever. you down dark paths. Yeah, I'm, I'm more, more and more excited now for the TV series because this playing through the, this second game has reminded me what it is I love about the storytelling in this world setting. Oh, it's such a good game. It looks so great as well.
0: I can't ever remember playing a game which gave you such moralistic choices and then made you feel bad for them.
1: Pretty much. Makes you hate yourself. Yeah. Hate part of yourself anyway. Uh, and also... I'm now on the. I'm now on to the second of the Fletch novels on Audible. Oh, good. Who's reading um, Confess, Fletch? Uh, I, I can't remember who's reading them, but all all of the Fletch novels are available. If, you're, if you if you're subscribed to Audible, you don't have to use any of your credits for them. All of the series are on there for free. So uh, I just popped them. Popped on the first one a few weeks ago. Uh, worked through that. And you can tell the era in which it was written because there are some problematic yeah, elements yeah. in that very first book. But once you get onto Confess Fletch, it becomes a lot more fluid. And even though I know what this outcome is, because I've I've literally watched the film only about a month ago, I'm enjoying the investigative nature. And I can see what you mean about how the books are a very different thing than what the films are. The films lean heavily into the comedy, whereas the books are more investigative. There's humour in them. Yeah, but not as um, blatant as the films have gone for, really enjoying it. So I'm finally got round to two things that you've told me. Well, I like
0: that uh, because I need a book for my long journey. I've just finished Sandman Part 3, which is superb. And I'm I'm desperate for something else. I've got one credit, so I may... No, I will take advantage
1: of that. Well, like I say, the the Fletch ones, you don't even have to use a credit for. Oh, good. It's part of their free subscriber stuff. There's got a wealth of stuff on their free subscriber things now. I'm building up a backlog of credits that I've not used now because I'm just listening to all the free stuff instead. And If I stop subscribing, I won't be able to listen to the free stuff. So I'm in a Catch-22 situation. Maybe I'll buy Catch-22 with a Want to be credits?
0: <laughs> uh, Catch-22, I, I tried to read in college, that's how long ago. And uh, yes, it's brilliantly written, but I found it hard going. A bit yeah. like the movie, to be honest, in the TV series. I, I think it's brilliant. It's not an easy an, an easy go on it, especially in the book when it's unlike the TV series, which which was very good, um, that George yeah. Clooney produced. But it keeps swapping time so you never quite know where you are but yeah it, it's well worth it it's well worth getting into but it's a hard 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 book to get into
1: i've also been uh, drawing up my notes for the next few years of my life videos for the youtube channel All right. i've got my notes down for 1993 to 1996 and boy i watched a lot of films over those years <laughs> trying to narrow down the ones which are most significant is hard because it, it was the defining time for me. It was like me, you know, back end of my university years and the start of my working life. And there was a lot going on in my life. And the films were a huge part of that that I watched. And like, you know, films like comic books, everything that I'm passionate about and not just the product that they are but they unlock the memories of the time that i first saw them like comic books if i take out a, a long box of comic books and take out a random comic it, I'll, I'll be reminded of exactly where i was when i read that comic and it's the same with the first time that i watched movies it reminds me of what i was going through in my life so there's so many films from 1993 to 1996 that have a huge significance to me.
0: Interesting, you say that. Uh, there's a guy that I follow on Twitter who who prints comic covers from a certain age, and it's it's a trip down memory lane for me. Yeah, it's the part of my life when I was seriously getting into into comic book reading, and would get whatever you could. There was no comic shops at the, that point. You'd find them in in markets most of the time. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a beautiful little journey, and I keep going. Oh, I've got that issue. Oh, I've got that. I'll tweet him back. And he gives me a big thumbs up. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, isn't Twitter's not always that evil. Well, it is with some of the people that they're making me follow.
1: But there are some positive people on there, but they're harder to find these days because of the algorithms that they use.
0: But one of the things that we do, which goes beyond Twitter, is our
1: Mastodon Challenge. Yep, yeah, And not a huge response uh, to this week's Mastodon Challenge, which I think probably answers the question as So whether you have to be into sports (laughs) to like a sports movie, because most of my Mastodon followers are all movie fans. And so there wasn't a big pickup. Now it goes without question that Rocky, the Rocky series are beloved by film goers. And that's a huge favorite. And there was a couple of mentions of that from a few different people, but we did have a response from Harvey Morton, um, who you remember Harvey was. uh... Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, I follow him on Twitter.
1: Yep. Harvey submitted, and it looks, because he literally joined Mastodon just before he posted this out. So it looks like he's joined Mastodon on the back of us talking about it on the show. So hi, Harvey. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Dream horse, I, Tonya, King Richard, and Fighting With My Family, for non-sports fans. He's not into sports at all, and he loved them. Yeah, I mean, I responded to say Fighting With My Family almost, almost made me want to watch wrestling. <laughs> From my own personal experience, there's a lot of sports films that I absolutely love. I mean, you could take Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is set around the sport, but it's not about the sport. And it's all about whether it's about the sport or individuals. And that's why Rocky works so well, is because you don't, the the boxing isn't important. It's important to Rocky as a character, but the character of Rocky is the important thing and his life journey and what that means to him. You could substitute boxing with anything else as long as the rest of the film stays the same way. You care about like the, you know, his relationships, his family, his friends. You follow it like a soap opera. And that's what's important when it comes to sports films and real life sports films. I mean, um, Harvey put I, Tonya, drawing upon yeah, a real life yeah, that classes experience. And it's a it's a great, interesting, fascinating life of a rags to riches stories. That's what sports films always do so well. People who come from backgrounds that they shouldn't be involved in this kind of thing based on like what public perception is. But they managed to prove themselves as worthy of being part of that environment. And I, is a great example of that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, not a great response. We did get a response from for our Christmas one a bit late. Uh, and this came through. And I forgot that this was set up. OK. We get answers through Spotify. People can engage with us via Spotify. And so so. Uh, Johan replied to our Christmas non-festive films that you watch over Christmas with me, Girls. Uh, Johan.
0: Welcome to the party.
1: Welcome to the party, Johan. One of the films that I watched during the Christmas time is Mean Girls. It's become a tradition. And yeah, it's it's not festive at all. But yeah, same as like I said with Back to the Future, it's one of those films that is now so linked into the time of year that I keep watching it that I will always watch it at this time of year. So uh, thanks for the reply there, Johan. And you were too late to enter for last week's show, but we got you in time for this week.
0: Yeah, stick around, Johan. There might be a question this week which will interest you. Uh, So, before we start, let me tell you my favorite sport movies. So Rocky clearly clearly top of the, uh, of, the of the list I, I think it's a marvelous yeah. film to some extent apart from Rocky Balboa, I don't think the sequels did him did the character any justice yep because he was downtrodden the fact that he didn't win the fight is what makes that film absolutely absolutely unique for me he didn't win and, and that wasn't the purpose of, of the movie he wasn't there to win field of dreams you mentioned adore it can watch it anytime uh gets to me gets to me every time i see it yeah and then sticking with baseball ball durham again with kevin costner uh, Kevin Costner was just at his height of his power uh, at that particular point in his career and he did well, he it, it just did those kind of movies with effortless charm. It was so, so good. They were the Kevin Costner best years.
1: It's a film that I've not seen. Oh, isn't it? No, I'll, I'll add it onto my list.
0: We'll put it down for a deep dive some point in the future. When we've got through all the other <laughs> deep dives.
1: All 500 of them that we've got listed on
0: my notepad here. <laughs> so this week's Mastodon Challenge, what is it? Given this one a lot of thought, sometimes you can see uh, a film which is based on a beloved book, and it kind of doesn't work. It just doesn't capture what you enjoyed about the book, whether you saw the characters in different ways, whether they altered the story so much that it took away that edge. I'm, I'm looking at you, Bonfire of the Vanities. However, sometimes they get it just right. They add the experience that you had reading the book, and it becomes something beloved. And I'm thinking for me, Doctor Sleep, which was an okay Stephen King adaptation, but the film proved to be much more. Got rid of some of the elements that were in the book that just didn't work and took it straight back to The Shining. So is there a book adaptation that you think has improved or is better than the book itself? Let us know right here on our Mastodon Challenge for this week.
1: I know what one of mine would be, and I hadn't read the book before the film, but I read the book after the film, and people who've read the book before they watch the film agree with me. Fight Club, I think Fight Club works better as a film than a novel. Oh yeah, yeah, good point. The novel's great, but the way that it uses cinema in order to pull the rug out from under you works so much better.
0: Totally agree. Hey, it's a good one. Yes, I've read, I've read Fight Club, and I do prefer the movie. Okay, so let us know in this week's Mastodon challenge. So, what do we got on the show this week? Well, another packed show. We've got this week's deep dive into the Christmas horror comedy. Is it a family film or not? We'll decide later. Krampus. We've got reviews galore, which include...
1: Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, that landed on Netflix this week. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules, the animated sequel that landed on Disney Plus this week. And Emancipation, that landed on Apple TV Plus this week. Yes, it's all new streaming films this week.
0: And I'll give you my review of the film that landed on Netflix this week, Warriors of Future. But before any of that, we've got this week's The News. Yes, it's the news. Before we get into that, let's get into this week's box office. And I see that it looks like Black Panther, at least in the US, has passed the 400 million mark.
1: Yeah, Black Panther worldwide has now passed 760 million, but it's slowed down significantly over the previous weeks and is highly, highly unlikely to get anywhere near the billion at this rate. However, due to the very quiet week of release... It still retained the top spot in the US this week, taking another 11.2 million. Violent Night retained second place with 8.7 million. Strange World, third place, 3.8 million. Seriously underperforming as an animated offering, seriously badly mismarketed. The Menu holding into the top five with 2.8 million. And Devotion in fifth place with 2 million. Here in the UK, Matilda held the top spot as expected. It's third week in, it's still up there. It's taken a total of 10.8 million so far in the UK. This weekend it took 2.1 million. Black Panther in second place with 802,000s taking its total in the UK to 30.8 million. Violent Night in third place adding another 567,000 onto its total. Strange World in fourth place with 305,000 and The Menu In fifth place, with 192,000.
0: So I'm guessing, Andy, it's all about next week with the big release of Avatar, which got its premiere in the UK uh, just this week. And it appears that Word is very good on it. We still wonder if it's going to find an audience. though.
1: Word is very positive. The initial critics' response, I mean, some of them have said that it lacks on story like the first one did, but this is a spectacle of a film. This is a film that you have to see on the big screen to appreciate the the beauty and the long running time doesn't feel long, apparently. okay. A, a load of critics have been saying, like, never bet against James Cameron. And it's something that we've echoed on the show before, is like, you know, regardless of what project he's going to do, people always start getting dismissive about him. But come on, the guy every time manages to deliver on something Business wise, projections are looking quite good, particularly in China, because this is one of those rare Western audience films that is getting a release in China. And it's currently looking like it's going to make over 200 million on its opening weekend in China alone. Wow.
0: So that's going to push it right to the top.
1: We should be looking. it, It should be passing a billion. If it's going to open with 200 million in China, I think it's projecting about 167 to 192 in the US for next weekend. Over the Christmas period, this is going to bring footfall in and sometime in January, it will be passing the billion. I can pretty much safely say it. Will it make the two billion that James Cameron wants? Because he said in order for it to be profitable, it needs to make two billion. Now, that's because they filmed this one and the third one back to back, and he's kind of included the costs of the third one within that. In realistic terms, the proper production budget for this is 350 million. So it needs to get just past a billion in order to break even. But obviously he wants as much money as possible because he wants the third one to get made, and then possibly fourth and fifth, and then sixth, seventh and eighth, like we reported last week. But yeah, all eyes are on Avatar. And I just want to spin off from that just to say, and all eyes are on James Cameron now talking once again about maybe, just maybe, we'll get to that 4K version of The Abyss. Okay. He's been interviewed this past week, and he was asked what's happened with the restorations, because every interview that he does, he talks about, like, The Abyss and the cinematography used in there, and like, the, the marvellous work that was done on it but then for the past decade he's been promising us a rest restored version and a- an upgraded blu-ray edition and he's he's finally said like it's in the pipeline and it should be no later than march next year happy birthday to me finally wow. i might get to see the abyss in a fully restored blu-ray version because all you can get at the moment is well you have to chase it to find it but the dvd this and true lies are his two films that people are clamoring for to get home releases in a restored upgraded version hopefully after we get the abyss He'll then get round to bringing us that Arnie classic because True Lies is a great film as well. We're deep diving True Lies at some point. I'm adding that to the notes. Uh,
0: I'd like to see the director's cut again of The Abyss. I saw it on the big screen when they when they ran it, and uh, was much more impressed yeah. than I was the original version.
1: It does pad out a lot of like Cold War era kind of story, which is a bit dated now, but it also lends a lot more background to everything that is going on and the pressure that these people underwater getting from the surface because the potential war that might break out over this alien race that they've uncovered. It's a great film. I regularly go back to the Abyss, so come on James Cameron, please stick to your guns this time and definitely give us it in March next year. So
0: there's a lot of DC news this week. I've noticed some Wonder Woman news, some speculation on uh, Superman. James Gunn, I believe, is about to make some kind of announcement in the near future. What do we know that's happening in the world of
1: DC? DC have been all over the news this week, thanks to an article that came out in the Hollywood Reporter, which ran through a lot of rumours, but also some like that they say they've got confirmed insiders who have given them, and apparently DC are busy in the act of chopping if the reports are to be believed. Wonder Woman 3, the reported, was scrapped. And as well, at the same time, they discussed the situations with films such as Man of Steel 2 and Black Adam 2. Now, we do know that Gunn and Saffron are currently drawing up their own plans for the DC universe, which are going to be presented to Warner Brothers execs this coming week. But the Hollywood Reporter's insiders have been doing a lot of digging. Before we go through all these films in like one by one, let's just state that Gunn himself has responded to the report by saying that some of it is true Some of it's half true, some is not true, and some is not even decided yet. So take a lot of this with a pinch of salt. But for now, Wonder Woman 3. Apparently Wonder Woman 3 has been binned. This is most likely to be true because further reports have backed this claim up with additional details that Patty Jenkins delivered her plans for the film, but her ideas were rebuked, leading to her defending her story arc choices via links to Wikipedia articles about story arts before deciding she didn't want to have any creative freedom taken away and she has departed the project. So it's safe to say that Patty Jenkins's Wonder Woman three has been binned.
0: You know what? I, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of uh, 1984, but I'm I am sad to see Wonder Woman ending like this because I think it's gone out with a with a whimper rather than the bang that it should have been. And I was yeah. up for seeing another movie, and especially with Gal Gadot in in the lead. I think she's been she is the Christopher Reeve of of the Wonder Woman series, and I think she's made a character who was an interesting character and gave it soul and depth and I think between the collaboration between her and Paddy Jenkins that's how it happened so I yeah I'm I'm really really disappointed and I know it was a, it was all over the place but there were some redeemable qualities yeah and I was up for a third outing
1: and it's worth noting that Gal Gadot is still reportedly attached to the character for now. But it's uh, it definitely appears that Jenkins isn't. And the whole new direction for the character may be on the card. So I don't think it's going to be the last that we'll see of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. It just means that she might be used as a support character in upcoming projects, unless they get someone else in who agrees with Gunn and Safran's direction and can take the character in a new direction. It would be a shame to see her leave. I didn't think she was going to be a great Wonder Woman. No, When she was cast, I was like, nah, I'm not, I'm not sold. And then you saw that first film and it's like, okay, I'll take that back. She's absolutely brilliant. And I think it would be a shame for her to her to depart as well. So Garrett is still attached, but for how long, we don't know, because if nothing's going to be happening, she's going to start signing up to other projects, which might stop her being able to be involved going forwards. Man of Steel 2. Now, Man of Steel 2, We reported a few weeks ago, and everyone's been reporting that after that cameo at Black Adam, like Man of Steel 2 is going to be in the pipeline. It was expected that it was going to get announced going forward pretty soon. Well, that project has stalled. Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight delivered a treatment and that was turned down. But Gunn has said that Superman is a huge priority, if not the biggest priority. And also confirmed at the same time that rumours that he dislikes Cavill, which have been bizarrely going round on, oh well of course it did, Twitter, <laughs> uh, are all false. He's got nothing against Cavill. One fan in a Q&A with Gunn said that he'd heard from multiple people that it was true. So Gunn replied, so weird, you seem so plugged in. Anyway, I just had 40 people reach out to me to say you just got kicked out your mom's basement. So sorry, man. (laughs) That is the most most James Gunn response that you could ever get. According to Gunn, Superman's a huge priority. Whether that means in his solo film or he's going to be the linchpin to hold the new DCU together, we've got to wait to find out.
0: That should be the plan.
1: Yeah. Any rumors out there that are saying that, you know, Cavill's out? ignore them. Any rumors that say that Man of Steel 2 will never take place, ignore them. Let's wait on this one because this is a lot of speculation on this news. Next step, now this is a disappointing one and this has pretty much been confirmed as being accurate. There was a planned Michael Keaton-led Batman movie which would have spun off from The Flash. We kind of knew that already. Yeah. And the plan was for it to be Batman Beyond. Wow.
0: I'd have paid for that. For
1: those who remember the animated series and the comic book series that, like, was then grew from it, it introduced Teddy McGuinness as a new Batman who's mentored by an older Bruce Wayne to be the new hero that the new Gotham needs. It was pitched by Christina Hodson. The execs adored it, but two weeks into Gun and Saffron taking over, she was told to stop work on it. Apparently, the plan was also going to bring back Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman if Michelle Pfeiffer was interested in reprising it. She's been told to stop working on it. That doesn't mean it's cancelled for good. Yeah. That just means, look, they're working out what the future of the DCU is, but hold off. But that project... I love Batman Beyond. I love that animated series. And I love the idea of that's what you would use the older Michael Keaton Batman for. This would have worked a treat. This would have been a great little handover. Fingers crossed something comes back on that one at some point. But at the moment, it's in the bin.
0: Oh, that's disappointing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on Batman Beyond. Uh, not as beloved to me as Batman the animated series. And, yeah. and didn't see as many of them as I'd saw. I think I saw the entire run on on uh, uh, on Batman. But what I did see was very good. I always wanted to see that Joker episode, which was uh, supposed to be Mm. particularly violent from what I was told.
1: It was brilliant. It is well worth tracking down and checking out. Um, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, apparently, Walter Hamada had a long range plan to use Cavill in cameos in The Flash and Aquaman before leading to a large scale crisis movie to bring him to the forefront. And, you know, this is what the DCs kind of needed, a slow build-up to something big, not like a Zack Snyder, oh, I'm just going to shoehorn everything in within three films and hope for the best. And a crisis, regardless what your feelings on how DC use a crisis every now and then, just to, uh, "Uh, we've made a mess, quick, fix it with a crisis, fix it with a crisis. It would have been the kind of cosmic event and large-scale events that the DC universe would need. And it was kind of hinted that this is where it was going to be going after Flashpoint. But apparently the plans for crisis have now been scrapped.
0: I'm, I'm not too disappointed with that. It would have felt like they were they were having to do a phase one or phase two experiment and and build it to something. And, and we've said it more than once that, that DC works best when they're not all connected films. Yeah. And they become more visionary that way.
1: Yeah. Make them all their own individual things and just have references and nods every now and then. Let them play on their own little battlegrounds. Uh, Black Adam, despite what The Rock is saying, the film was not the hit the studio wanted, and the buzz for the sequel apparently is all false. The project has been completely sidelined by now, which is, I reckon, it's likely going to await the performance of the Shazam sequel to see if it can weave into that if it goes any further. Even though they're saying, oh, well, it just about broke even just about broke even, is not good enough for a big event movie like this. The, the Rock may be like playing up like, yeah, I'm the future of DC. Maybe not, mate. Maybe not.
0: There was the first uh, photo of Waukwaii and Phoenix as Arthur Fleck in the confines of Arkham Asylum this week, where we oh. saw a picture from Joker, Folle Adu. Uh, didn't give much away. Basically, uh, uh, Phoenix being shaved, <laughs> and that's it. No pictures yet of uh, Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn.
1: That'll be rolling out in the next few weeks, I reckon. Um, Aquaman, there's some rumbling that suggests that the Aquaman sequel is going to be Momoa's last appearance as the character. Apparently, a whole different approach is going to be planned from 2024 onwards. However, Momoa fans don't get upset because he's now being rumoured to be potentially playing the much-loved Lobo character, which I actually think he'd suit a lot better than Aquaman. Yeah,
0: especially if you've seen Slumberland. Uh,
1: Oh, Slumberland, I I mean, I reviewed it last week and I absolutely loved it. Again, it's speculation, it's rumour-mongering. We don't know for definite, and I'm sure if the Aquaman sequel next year (laughs) rakes in a load of money, they ain't going to be scrapping the plans for using him in, in future Aquaman films. But what we do know for definite is that The Flash still has the backing and the confidence of Warner Brothers Discovery. It's now moved forwards to June the 16th release date, which puts it up against Pixar's Elemental, and Jennifer Lawrence's No Hard Feelings. So that's next year's near future, and we should hopefully know next week or the week after more details on what is true and what isn't as Gunn and Saffron deliver their long-term strategy. Also, that release date becomes a huge release date for me particularly, and I'm sure for the maker of this film, but it's let's be honest, whenever there's a Wes Anderson film on the pipeline, that's the film that I get most excited for. And it's now got 16th of June next year. Yes, it's going head to head with The Flash. It's getting a limited release on cinemas on the 16th of June and then goes wider on the 23rd of June, which pitches the wide release between The Flash and Indiana Jones' Dial of Destiny, which is a smart piece of counter-programming. You know, you've got your big blockbuster entertainment for the mass audiences, but you've got Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. Finally, it's going to be here. I've spoken about it many times, but just to recap, It's a 1950s set project unfolding in a fictional American desert town during a junior stargazer space cadet convention. Chaos ensues as the event, organised to bring together students and parents from across the country for fellowship and scholarly competition, is spectacularly disrupted by world-changing events. Uh, And the cast, man, you you can always trust a Wes Anderson film to have (laughs) everyone from Hollywood in it. We've got Tom Hanks in his very first Wes Anderson film. They go together, don't they? That's a ham and eggs thing. I mean... Hanks and and Anderson. This is potentially going to be my favourite Anderson film at this rate. Margot Robbie's in there. Of course, Jason Schwartzman's in there. Scarlett Johansson, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Ed Norton, Adrian Brody, Liev Schreiber, Hope Davies, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, Maya Hawke, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Hong Chow, Willem Dafoe, Tony Revolori, Sophia Lillis, Jeff Goldblum and Rita Wilson. That's basically Hollywood. Hollywood (laughs) is starring... In Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. There'll be more
0: announcements, Andy. You do know that, don't you? There's going to be more announcements.
1: Oh, yeah. Eventually, uh, inevitably, the post will come out. And it's amusing looking at Wes Anderson's posters over the years because it started off like it was focusing just Wes Anderson's Royal Tenenbaums. And then it was like the next film suddenly has like three members of the cast. And then the next one has five members of the cast listed. And it's more recent films. The cast list takes up all the page. And there's just a small picture in the top corner. Marvellous. I'm so excited. It is my most anticipated film for next year, simply because I've never been let down by Wes Anderson.
0: It's just been announced that pop star, well, superstar Taylor Swift is directing her Mm -hmm. very first feature, uh, and that's for Searchlight Pictures. The film, which there is nothing given away at this point, is based on an original script there's no casting details we know very little about it what we do know is that swift has moved behind the camera for a 2022 extended music video for the single all too well and for that effort she won a best direction award at the mtv vmas just this year she's touched upon acting she was in uh tom hooper's best forgotten cats yeah and she appeared in david o russell's amsterdam so I'm not one of these people who's going to damn her. I think there is a correlation between what musicians and their vision have and uh, what the movies they can make. Because if you are someone like Taylor Swift, you surround yourself with the very best people. So um, I'm, I'm not second-guessing this in any way. And I'm open-minded as to what kind of a movie uh, she can make. She's a very, very smart young lady.
1: Yeah, the short film All Too Well That She Wrote and Directed uh, screened very well at the Tribeca and Toronto Film Festivals this year. Searchlight Presidents David Greenbaum and Matthew Greenfield have said of her feature feature film that she's doing, Taylor is a once-in-a-generation artist and storyteller. It's a genuine joy and privilege to collaborate with her as she embarks on this exciting and new creative journey. I'm all there to see what she can deliver because, yeah. You know, Uh, it's so easy to dismiss people saying, well, stick to music. That's what you're good at. Why? There's so many people who've come from other aspects of entertainment and arts and switched into a different area and proven, proven what they are. So let's see how this plays out. I'm interested.
0: I'm going to give you Steve McQueen as my answer to that one. Uh, I watched... Just this last week, I saw uh, a couple of uh, his Little Axe movies and uh, thought they were phenomenal. I know you recommended them highly when they came out.
1: He's, he's a quality filmmaker. Uh, another one like Wes Anderson, who, if, he just, if he's just linked to a project, that's it, I'm interested. Uh, because I do love films. I do love a variety of films. And Sight and Sound, in their recent weeks, gave us the results of their ballots for the best films ever that everyone should see. And that caused some controversy because the did. number one is a film that no one's seen.
0: It's science sound, by the way, so it will... <laughs> the good money on that it's going to be obscure.
1: This week, they've revealed one prestigious director's own picks for that list. Martin Scorsese listed the following as his must-see films. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yep. Eight and a Half. Yeah. Ashes and Diamonds. have well, not seen that. Citizen Kane. Yeah. Diary of a Country Priest. No. Ikaru. No. The Leopard. Yes. Ordei. No. Paisa. No. The Red Shoes. Yes. The River. Salvatore Giuliano. No. The Searchers. Yes. Ugetso Monogatari. No. And Vertigo. Yes. Now, interestingly, the most recent film out of them is the 54-year-old 2001 A Space Odyssey. (laughs) So it's clear that Scorsese hasn't really been swept away by a film for a long time.
0: Well, you know, if I go back and had to choose my all-time favourite movies... Mine would come from probably the 70s and 80s, the majority of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know from the deep dives that you're very much a 70s. Yes, the uh, height of film filmmaking
0: for me, so that's where I would go. But, you know, that's preference. That's great. some great choices yeah. on that.
1: The ones that have seen out of that list, I kind of agree with. And so now I want to seek out the ones that have not seen because, you know, Scorsese, like him or love him for his comments over the past few years, you have to appreciate he knows what he's talking about. Absolutely, Him sharing his opinions on films that we should all see and paying attention because the guy's a great filmmaker and he's, he's so knowledgeable about the industry. You might not always agree with his opinions, but you've got to respect them.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to jump into a couple of little casting news. Firstly, this one interests me because I think the two worked really well together on Friday Night Lights, which was a phenomenal TV series. Uh, Peter Berg. And Taylor Keach, he who was destined for bigger things, but didn't mm. really work after John Carter, are producing together a Netflix Western miniseries called American Primeval. The last Western series that Netflix did was, was one of my series of the years back in 2018, which was godless, which was superb, mm. absolutely superb. And uh, over in Marvel World, uh, more casting news on Daredevil Born Again. Margarita Laviva and Sandrine Holt are joining the cast. We do not know as whom. I've got some guesses, but that's about
1: it. All, the, all that the rumours are say, suggesting with them is that they are potential love interests for Matt Murdoch. So let the speculation begin. Other casting news. Jackie Chan is in talks for Rush Hour 4.
0: Um, okay.
1: He's been meeting with the plans director this week. Which director? Nobody knows, but it's unlikely to be the very disgraced Brett Ratner. Who delivered the previous three and has been absent from the industry for the past eight years? Uh, I'm not sure that we need another rush hour. No, but... I was
0: out by two, to be honest.
1: Uh, Catalina Sandino Marino from Maria Full of Grace and Barbarians has joined the John Wick spin off Ballerina, which will see Anna Diarmis as a young woman with the killer skills taking revenge on hitmen who kill their family. That old chestnut happens so often. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is in negotiations to star in Apple TV's adaptation of Presumed Innocent. That's a story that was previously adapted in the 1990 film, which starred uh, yes. Harrison Ford, Brian yeah, Dennehy. Yeah. yeah, a good movie. Jeffrey Wright was in that 1990 film. Oh, was he? Completely forgot Jeffrey Wright was in there. It's always interesting when, as someone who's now risen to prominence, yeah. you suddenly remember, like, oh my, they were in the film like 40 years ago.
0: <laughs> Did you see this? It was uh, over some of the fan pages. Over the last week, and it was Chris Columbus, he of Home Alone fame, and the guy who wrote Gremlins. We know, and we did a, a deep dive on the entire series uh, a couple of weeks back. He was in talks at one point to direct the reboot of Planet of the Apes. Uh, Sam Hamm had written a script, uh, but what mm-hmm. we didn't know is there was some uh, makeup tests that the great Stan Winston created he created technology where the lips of the apes would move and uh, apparently it was extraordinary anyway if you check it out there is a piece of footage a mysterious vhs tape showed up at my offices chris columbus said he started playing it and sitting in front of me are two directors chairs are stan and his son matt and they're dressed normally from the neck down but they're both made up like apes and i watched this tape which was like 10 minutes and here's Stan and Matty, fully made up, looking like real apes, having a conversation. Try and find this. I could point you to sffgazette.com if you want to check that out. And
1: it, it just gives you
0: what we might have seen.
1: I'll, I'll check that one out. I'm always interested in like all the, all the projects that didn't come to fruition and any details. It's like with the Tim Burton Superman film Yeah, that we never got. That documentary about it made me want that Tim Burton Superman film even more. Because it was fascinating to see how far they got with like the costume design, the story elements, the storyboarding, etc. Fascinating to see failed projects and make you wonder, why did this not go ahead? Um, Gil Keenan, who gave us Monster House and City of Ember. look, Monster House. Oh, it's a great film, Monster House. Taking the reins from Jason Reitman to direct the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife. Reitman's going to remain on as writer-producer, co-writing alongside Keenan and Jason Blumenfeld. All the cast are reportedly back on board, and Keenan has said in a statement, it's an absolute honour to pick up the Proton Pack and step behind the camera for the next chapter of the Spengler family saga. I just wish I could go back to 1984 and tell the kid in the sixth row of the Man Valley West that one day he was going to get to direct a Ghostbusters film. And this currently plans to still come out next December, but given that they've not started shooting yet, I won't be surprised if that jumps to sometime in the early summer. Yeah. Now, here's one that interested me. At first, when I saw this news, I thought, oh, why? But then I read further. Paramount Pictures are working on a sequel to the 1999 comedy election.
0: Okay, which is just about darn near perfect.
1: Yep, the follow-up is based on the follow-up novel by Tom Perotta, which sees a now-adult Tracy struggling to fight her way to the top. Okay, I'm more interested now because it's an official continuation drawn from the novel. And then Alexander Payne is back on board, and so is Reese Witherspoon. Everyone's back together. So it should, hopefully, tonally be consistent. And I'm I'm up for it. It'll be for the Paramount Plus TV. Whether it gets a limited cinema release is unknown, but unlikely. But I'm, I'm interested. I mean, as you know, Election was one of those films that I hadn't seen. When we were on lockdown and you were challenging me to films that you, Andy's not <laughs> seen, you challenged me to Election. And it was a great choice.
0: It is great. It
1: was a great choice. And I'm now a huge fan of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to catching up with that character all these years later
0: fabulous uh doctor who showrunner russell t davis in other geek news has confirmed that he's bringing back the christmas specials and sadly we're not getting one this year i was really disappointed i i just assumed there would be some kind of christmas special anyway he's also said uh for season 14 he has let us know what the episode count is going to be and that's going to be only eight episodes so uh, davis acknowledged that fewer episodes in the full season from last time but but requested that fans just give us some time, we've
1: got plans, and that's a promise. Excellent. Mike Flanagan and Trevor Macy recently signed that deal with Amazon, stealing them away from Netflix. They're reportedly working on an adaptation of Stephen King's seminal work, The Dark Tower.
0: i not read The Dark Tower, I'll have truth be told. I read the Marvel adaptation,
1: that's all I've read. It's a really good adaptation. It's a shame that they never got to complete. All their journey yeah. in the Marvel comics. But all of those uh, Marvel spin offs, some of them were side stories, some of them were e- extensions to the story. And then they started adapting the actual main story itself. I'm a huge fan of Dark Tower. I've read it multiple times, I've listened to the audiobook. I can almost forgive that recent film from 2017. I thought that its heart was in the right place, but it was clearly a bit messed. But this is going to be more of a faithful adaptation of the books. They've acquired the rights to them. It blends dark fantasy, science fiction, horror and Western. Flanagan has written a pilot script, a detailed first season outline and broader latter season outlines for what has been his dream project, which is separate from the deal with Amazon, but the hope that Amazon will come on board to finance it. King is involved, as Flanagan said. I wouldn't want to be involved in it at all if we were taking it in a direction that was going to be blasphemous to the Stephen King material. But he's been very, very supportive and very excited about what we'd like to do with it because he wants to adapt it into five seasons and two standalone features uh, to wrap it up at the end. I trust Mike Flanagan with yeah, Stephen King we, properties.
0: He's got that good symbiosis of, of being able to take the best out of, out of King's work.
1: As we saw with Doctor Sleep. Yes,
0: and uh, and still being reverential to it as well at the same time.
1: Yep. So hopefully, there's been rumours of a Dark Tower series for the past two decades. Blimey. Hopefully, this time, we will finally get to see something, something come to the screen. Because if any story needs to be brought to the world for Stephen King fans, it's this one. Thoroughly recommend if you're a Stephen King fan check out The Dark Tower because it kind of draws on threads from so many of his other works and weaves their stories together and it makes you reevaluate some of the other books that you've read of Stephen King yeah. within the context of The Dark Tower mythologies. Last bit of news before we round off. Anyone who's excited for Cabinet of Curiosities Season 2, we don't know yet. Guillermo del Toro, who's been promoting Pinocchio over this past week, has said that he's not sure yet whether another season's going to happen. But he has submitted ideas of which creators he wants to work with if Netflix do greenlight it. So it's all on Netflix's table to make that decision. Uh, But Del Toro, in the meantime, has 22 22 completed scripts sat awaiting his focus, according to the director. He does plan to make a monster movie next, but that may change. In his words, I'm working on a monster movie. I cannot say the title because it may change, and I could end up making something else. But right now, I'm writing and designing and we have for the last couple of years. Hopefully, it'll be next, but anything can happen. You can never predict what Del Toro is going to be doing. But he has hinted that the long gestating at the Mountains of Madness project that he's been wanting to do basically awesome. since he started his career. That's awesome
0: script, I've read it.
1: It might move to animated format, potentially stop motion after his work with Pinocchio, which will allow for some real, real creativity. Um, he has said that that will mean having to go back and retailer the script. To take advantage of the different medium but it's possible that we might finally get to see out the mountains of madness brought to life awesome. by a director who seems perfect to make it
0: and then finally some sad news so first uh, a passing that's probably only really relevant to those of us who grew up in england during a very certain period <laughs> uh, of the world it's a series that never really traveled beyond these shores I, as, as far as i know our listeners from overseas just bear with us for just a moment as we say a fond farewell to actress Ruth Maddock.
1: Yeah, Ruth Maddock was known for known primarily for her iconic role as Gladys Pugh in Heidi High, but she did have roles throughout the industry. Fiddle in, on the roof in 1971, Prince and the Pauper in 1977, and Under the Milkwood in 1972 before stepping into very prominent TV work in the UK, including and there's some fond memories within here. The adventure game. I used to love the adventure game. Uh, she was in Little Britain. She's appeared in Doctors, Benidorm, Casualty. But it's for Heidi High and, of course, regular seasonal Panto work across the UK yes. that she is fondly, fondly remembered and really beloved by the British public. Yeah, she
0: played the lovelorn
1: yellow coat Gladys, <laughs> who would uh, do her announcements of like, Morning campers, Heidi High, ho ho. Hey, I mean, it's a very British thing and the international listeners are going, what are you on about? It's very much a, a take on like the Butlins and Pontins kind of holiday resort aspects of British culture. She was much loved by the nation. She suffered a fall earlier this past week while prepping for a Panto and underwent surgery, but sadly passed away the following day at the age of 79. Our condolences and all our love go out to all friends, family, and everyone who worked with her within the industry.
0: And then finally, the passing of... Kirstie Alley. Which uh, main thing that surprised me about that was uh, how old Kirstie Alley was.
1: Yeah, seventy-one. I mean, she was. I didn't realize how old she was when she made her break into acting. She was already quite well established in other aspects of work, and then just took a step into acting with a few minor roles on TV. She was on a game show. She won money on a game show uh, before she got into serious acting. And one that put her on the map was 1982's masterpiece, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Yes where she played Vulcan Starfleet Officer Lieutenant Savick. She didn't come back for the film series following that because she was offered really low wage for them and she turned it down. But she did go on to do think other f- smaller films such as Runaway, Summer School, Champions, Blind Date, as well as she appeared in the North and South miniseries. You know what? I love Summer School.
0: It's one of those, those really rubbish films that <laughs> I absolutely love. I love Summer School.
1: It's one of those simple, cheesy, uh, yeah, yeah, just enjoyment films. But she really made attention and like broke out in the late 80s when she appeared in cheers
0: replacing Shelley long
1: yep she won an emmy award for that role and that led to her getting smash hits in cinemas such as uh, look who's talking uh, she also appeared in john carpenter's village of the damned remake yeah. uh, for richer for poorer the amish comedy the acclaimed pitch black dark pageant comedy drop dead gorgeous she w- there was a period of time that she was just so prominent Within the industry. Over the years, she's had her own sitcom, she's had various TV roles over the 2000s and in recent years, but she's also become very well known in recent years for her outspoken engagements around body positivity because she admitted in the 90s that she had a compulsive eating disorder, although she never put on weight. But then after she went through the menopause, obviously, she started to gain weight. And whilst media journals and paparazzi were mocking and going, oh, look how out of shape she is. She then flipped it back at them and went, this is what real people are. And she was very much campaigning that we should not body shame people. And she did a lot of positive work down that lines. Yeah, 71
0: yeah, I, that's the bit I couldn't believe. I mean, she was a controversial figure uh, with her connections to Scientology, but uh, she'll always be best remembered for me—not just for summer school, but of course for, for Star Trek and, and Cheers, in which you know it's always tough when somebody comes in to replace a beloved mm-hmm. lead. But boy, she pulled it off and made the show definitely her own.
1: Yeah, that's she was on it for six seasons and absolutely stole our hearts through those six seasons and that's this week's the
0: news if you're counting down the days till christmas and you don't know what to get for that loved one you know the loved one who doesn't give you a list but just tells you how much they love films well we've got the perfect answer and it's free all you have to do is guide them to their favorite podcast platform and search for the film file yes they become a subscriber to the series and they will love you just that little bit more. And also remind them to leave a like. If you want to know more about The Film File, all you have to do is this.
1: Head on over to any social media platform, search for Film File UK. You should find us on most platforms and engage with us on there. Mostly active on App Mastodon, which is where you can respond to our Mastodon challenge when it goes out during this week. Uh, you can also get in touch with us directly if you don't do that The fangled social media stuff by sending us an email to podcast at filmfile dot UK. Anything that you want to talk about film, anything you want us to talk about film, just fire suggestions. We're always happy to take on board suggestions. And also, as I discovered this week, you can also engage with us on Spotify. So uh, if you hear something on the show that you want to respond to, reply via Spotify and I'll get an alert within my inbox on that one.
0: If you want to hear more from The Film File, you can join us every Thursday at eight o'clock on No Barriers Radio for The Film File Radio Show. Just like this show, but a lot damn quicker. And that's NoBarriersRadio.com. And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. And we're staying festive as we bring you the 2015 Christmas horror comedy film based on the eponymous character from Austrian Bavarian folklore. Yes, kiddies, gather around the fire as we tell you the tale of Krampus.
1: Merry Christmas! I hate Christmas. I hate all of you.
0: This holiday season, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs>
1: He is the shadow of St. Nicholas. Hold on to each other. Krombus is coming. Nothing bad's gonna happen on Christmas.
0: Directed by Michael Doherty, who brought us Trick or Treat. This film stars Adam Scott, Tony Collette, David Koshner, Alison Tolman, Conchata Farrell, and is the story of a dysfunctional family squabbling through Christmas, which causes a young boy to lose his faith in the festive spirit. In doing so, he unleashes the wrath of Krampus, a fearsome horned, demonic beast from ancient European folklore who punishes naughty children at Christmas time. Krampus lays siege to the neighbourhood so the family must band together to save one another from a festive but monstrous fate. Uh, I recommended this to Andy and said, you know, if we're going to be talking about festive films, we got to talk about Krampus. Because I really like Krampus. I think it's a great holiday movie uh, in the same way that Gremlins is. It's mean-spirited at times. It's funny. It plays just the right side of scary and just the right side of satire. And I've always had such a great time with it. So please, Andy, tell me that you've had a great time with it.
1: As you know, I'm not one for christmas films i find a lot of them are so schmaltzy mawkish and i just feel that a lot of them are unnecessary and so i think that's one of the reasons why i avoided watching krampus when it came out is that i just kind of went uh oh, i'm not bothered i'm not bothered and i regret not watching this when it came out because i had i had fun with it not as much fun as you clearly have but it is something that i do intend to go back to every now and then it's an alternate christmas tale yeah it's a dark Christmas tale. I mean it's it's Krampus, the shadow of Santa, you know, for those people who've been naughty. Uh, in the folklore, it's uh, Santa and Krampus actually travel around together with one delivering gifts and the other delivering punishments or, you know, taking things away. And it's used to great effect in this I loved the opening sequence. I loved the title music of It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas as shoppers are devastating uh, the retail industry in slow motion, in comical, darkly comical ways. And it set the tone for the rest of the film beautifully from that point. You've got the dysfunctional family that only one of them still genuinely believes in Christmas and that's the young boy. And it's as he loses the spirit of Christmas that awakens the dark, Aspects of Krampus and him and his little helpers start to play with the family. They start to tease them and take them one by one. It's twisted, it's dark, it's immensely funny and charming at the same time. Yes. It's tonally all over the place, but I think that kind of works as a result. It, it kind of knows what it is. You said that it, it it's very much in tone with like things like Gremlins, and yes, that was my. As it got like the first fifteen minutes in, I just thought this. Is that eighty style of family festive dark horror entertainments that Gremlins tapped into perfectly, and I think Krampus was clearly inspired by that kind of take. Although it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite hit the mark fully for me. It's,
0: it's not as classic as Joe Dante's uh, Gremlins, and and I think there is DNA in this film, as you pointed out, that connects it to uh, Dante's classic. Um, it's not quite as as savage as as, uh, as Gremlins is, uh, but it gets the mocking right. It gets the, the spoofing of what we think are traditional Christmases and, and how people try too hard to pretend to like each other rather than just getting on with liking each other.
1: There was some small little nods and references within this that brought a smile to my face, and it's completely inconsequential to the story, but it referenced, there was one that referenced something else. Now, I'm a huge fan of Calvin and Hobbes, I've always loved oh, the Calvin yeah. and Hobbes comic strips. So when, there's, when Max's mum mentions the noodle incident, I just started chuckling, even though it's never explained what the noodle incident is, because the noodle incident is a long-running gag from Calvin and Hobbes that is never explained. And things like that tapped into the kind of like childish mentality that I can have at times, and helped me enjoy the film even more. I had fun with this. I loved the character designs. I loved the creature designs. Uh, Wetter. I believe, yes, yes, it was crafted all the all the creatures, the digital versions and the physical versions, and the design of Krampus itself is so dark and twisted, but in an almost jokey kind of manner. It's not terrorizingly dark. It's again Gremlins esque kind of dark. That it's monstrous, but in that in that family friendly, fairy tale kind of way. And I love the gingerbread characters. Yes, uh,
0: interestingly enough voiced by some quite well-known names, such as Seth Green, Green.
1: Yeah. and Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty. It's a film that I, I kind of passed over my radar when it came out, and I'm glad that I've now like visited it, and I'll probably appreciate it more on repeated visits, because I do feel that it's one of those films that the, the problems that I have with it, the last act, I feel just doesn't quite get there. I like what it's doing, but I feel that it just doesn't quite live up to the expectations and the build-up that the rest of the film was doing. But now that that's out the way, I think I can appreciate the film a lot more on repeated viewings. But of course, I was going to enjoy a film that has Adam Scott in it, Tony Collette and David Koechner, because they're always great on screen. They always more than compensate for any underwhelming aspects. And they lift the film up significantly. It's a great little family film. And I'm saying it's a family film, even though it got a high rating in the UK, because I would happily sit and watch this with my young'uns, the same way, I mean, they're not young anymore, but when they were young, the same way that when I was young, I watched Gremlins, because yeah. this is tonally exactly the same as Gremlins. It's that dark horror of a family-friendly, jokey nature that I think that we should subject our children to. Yes. We should awaken them to this. Don't wrap them up in blankets and protect them from things like this. Let them watch some horror.
0: And this is the right kind of horror in the same way that Gremlins is, because it's its bloodless. It's—it's. It's, hide behind the sofa horror or behind a cushion, as what happened when I showed it to the child this time last year. <laughs> and maybe maybe it was a year too young for it and, and that still <laughs> hasn't forgiven me. There are two versions of this film. Uh, there was a version that got released and then in 2021 an unrated extended version of the film referred to as Krampus the Naughty Cut was released, which I've not seen so I'd like to to know if it has some more of the more meaner-spirited and and darker elements that the film hints at, especially the the dark elves and the unwrapped, terrifying uh, uh, Christmas presents. But I have a lot of love for this, and I will probably go back to it. Not this year, because I watched it last year. I'm thinking Gremlins this Mm. year. But I will I'll give it a go next year. I think it's it's one of those I don't want to see every year. Uh, And when I do Mm. go back to it, I want to see it fresh and enjoy it just as much as the first time I saw it. So Andy, where can we find Krampus if we want to watch it?
1: I found it on Netflix, but I believe it's also on Now TV. It appears to be on multiple services at this point in time. Just do a search, you'll find it out there.
0: Brilliant. And we'll be back again with another deep dive. So now it's time for this week's reviews. And we'll start off with you, Andy. What have you got review-wise?
1: So I'm going to start off with uh, what is my pick of the week? And that is, we've been waiting for it for a while, Guillermo del Toro's take on the classic tale of Pinocchio. I want to tell you a story.
0: It's a story you may think you know, but (laughs) you don't. Not really. You see, I,
1: Sebastian J. Cricket, was
0: there. As a matter of fact, I lived, actually lived, in the heart
1: of the wooden boy. This new adaptation of the classic Italian novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio, reimagines the story to set it in the 1930s fascist Italy, whilst keeping the core essence of the tale about the wooden boy who must learn the true meaning of life. During the Great War, carpenter Geppetto loses his son during an inadvertent aerial bombardment by Austrian forces, planting a pine cone next to his grave in memory of him. Twenty years later, he cuts down the resulting tree, which is now home to a cricket named Sebastian, and he begins carving a boy from the wood. That night, a blue wood sprite visits and brings the boy to life, assigning Sebastian as his guide. The base story is the same, and indeed many familiar moments from the much-retold tale – there's been 23 film adaptations to date and over 20 TV series adaptations – are played out. But the film also brings something new to the proceedings, such as Pinocchio's discovery of the afterlife and his encounters with the denizens there, including the manifestation of death. At the same time, many known and oft-retold elements of the tale are stripped away, which might be disappointing to some who expected the tale to play out in exactly the same manner as, say, the Disney version. But for others like myself, it streamlines the story, excising the excess baggage to keep the running time tightly paced. This is a film that Del Toro has been working on for almost a decade and a half originally beginning in 2008, before it fell into development hell, only to be revived in 2017. It's a work of passion by the director, and the love he has for it can be seen in the design work of the wonderfully crafted stop-motion creations. The design is darker than the much-loved Disney version, Del Toro being a huge fan of Disney, but not wanting to simply copy their approach, and the fluidity of the animated work is stunning. The voice cast inhabit their parts well, with Ewan McGregor instantly recognisable as Sebastian, Ron Perlman as Podesta, David Bradley lending true character and depth to Geppetto, John Turturro as Il Dottore, Tim Blake Nelson as the voice of the Black Rabbits, Tilda Swinton as the Wood Sprite and Death, Christoph Waltz as Count Volpe, and even Kate Blanchett as Spazitura, Volpe's mistreated monkey assistant. The young boy himself is voiced ably by Gregory Mann, who also voices Geppetto's deceased son, Carlo, and he does an admirable job of giving heart to a character who could very easily be disliked due to his selfish ways. The final result is another solid offering from Del Toro and another feather in the cap for Netflix's animated offerings, with a timeless tale retold once more for families to love. While still not a definitive version of the book, it certainly sits within the top tier of adaptations to date.
0: It is on the list to watch, being a huge fan of Del Toro, and it looks, and I mean this in all sincerity, it looks perfectly del
1: toro yeah so what's next so that's one animated offering this week the next animated offering is on disney plus and it's daddy of a wimpy kid roderick rules
0: listen i know that you and your brother don't always get along but a weekend like this can help change
1: that Yo! Yeah! who knows you two might surprise yourselves Get forget to unload the dishwasher! Ah. Whoa! Alright Greg, we've got one hour to get this place ready. Ready for what? The party. What? No way! Mom and Dad would never let you have a party. They'll never even know. And it's not my party anyway. It's our party. Whoa, what do you mean, our party? The Heffley Brothers are throwing this party together. The Heffley Brothers? That's right. You and me, together. People will be talking about this night for years. It's gonna be epic. Epic. Author and cartoonist Jeff Kinney adapted the screenplay for this second animated offering of adaptations from his popular book series for Disney+. Plus. This time, Greg's parents are going away for the weekend, leaving Roderick in charge of Greg. Roderick plans a huge house party and entices Greg to help him set it in motion sharing one or two of his Roderick rules of life with him along the way. However, after Roderick locks Greg and his friend Rowley in the cellar so they don't get in the way of the party, Greg blackmails Roderick into sharing more rules or he'll spill the beans. As someone who's never read the book series, and nor have I ever seen the live-action movie adaptations of the last decade and a half, going into these animated offerings, Blind, meant I had no preconceived baggage of what they should be. And as a result, I found it easy to enjoy these comical coming-of-age tales. Running at a longer runtime than the first entry, 75 minutes over the 58 minutes of the first one, this second offering is allowed to breathe a little, and it stops it feeling as choppy and disposable as the first animated offering was. Criticisms of the first film can still, however, be applied here, and particularly those who are not enamoured by the animated designs of the first will be just as unimpressed this time round. Taking sketch-drawn characters from the pages of the book series and rendering them in 3D environments makes for some bizarre creations at times. But I found it mostly works, and it gives the film a unique personality that fits the story well. The voice cast are perfectly fine, and after two films, I've come to warmly embrace the characters. I'm looking forward to the third outing, which is in production at the moment. This film also marks one of the final performances of Ed Asner who voices Grandpa Heffley with that warm, engaging manner for which he was well known for. Is this film as good as the live action adaptations? I don't know. But what I do know is that as an outsider to the franchise, I found it to be a fun and engaging 75 minutes, which left me longing for more. And so from Roderick Rules, over to my final bit of streaming entertainment. And it is on a limited cinema release this week as well, if you can catch it. And that's the Will Smith-led emancipation on Apple TV plus
0: we must get to Lincoln's army five days through this swamp there are many ways to die in a swamp there are many ways to die here I will not be afraid what can a mere man do to me follow the sound of Lincoln's cannons. My family is with me forever. I will look in triumph at my
1: enemies. Telling the story of Peter, a slave who fled a plantation after being whipped within an inch of his life and began a torturous journey north to find Lincoln's army, having to do what he could to survive and avoid capture by hunters. This harrowing true story is brought to life by director Antoine Fuqua and star Will Smith. The film is a mixed bag with a lot of strong positives but some creative choices that somewhat diminish the powerful message and life journey it's conveying. Casting is certainly a positive and Will Smith, awkwardly, gives a powerful and Oscar-worthy performance in the lead role of Peter, one which could prove tricky to navigate around should it be honoured in the upcoming awards season. Showing his star power but downplaying in a humble and cripplingly emotional role, Smith gives his all to the part, ensuring that we latch onto his character and root for him to succeed in his journey. The support cast all lend well, with Ben Foster standing out as one of the men hunting Peter down, a role not a far cry from many other Ben Foster roles over the years, but it's fair to say he inhabits this guy's well. The cinematography from Robert Richardson is beautiful, with a desaturated look to the film that avoids vivid colours to keep the focus on the story and the journey itself, but sadly, the manner in which it is utilised sometimes diminishes the end result. But the most jarring element to the film is the action moments, which seem to clash stylistically with the real-life events that the film is drawing from. Fuqua's direction of action offerings through the years seems to have resulted in feeling that we need the same approach regardless of the tone, and here it doesn't sit well, even though every action moment looks great. Emancipation is a powerful, moving, and deeply flawed offering from Apple, with a strong similarity to The Revenant. An intense true-life story, worth seeing for the performances alone, but unlikely to make anyone's top list of the year.
0: So my review for this week is a film that just landed on Netflix. It's the Hong Kong film, which sounds like a bad translation of its title, Warriors of Future. This is a Hong Kong sci-fi. The story is when a major meteor carrying a destructive plant strikes the world a suicide squad in special suits are given hours to save their post-apocalyptic city from total collapse. This is all kinds of crazy. You can see how Hong Kong cinema is now influenced by films like the MCU because its style is absolutely relentless. The look and the style of the film is absolutely superb and it plays almost like Well, it almost plays like you're playing a video game. It's as simple as that. This film feels like some sort of spiritual descendant from Paul Verhoeven's Starship Trooper, with all the characters in mechanised suits, which give them a, a video game kind of feel. And the whole film has that feel, that you are part of a big video game. Saying that, it is ridiculous fun. It is way over the top. In fact, so over the top, it's back again. (laughs) Uh, Stunning fight sequence and choreography. A blaring soundtrack edited to perfection. This is just silly fun. Impressive creature effects uh, that leaves the actors like Philip Kong, Karina Lau and Louis Koo to basically do their best with a threadbare script. But you know what? If you like your sci-fi, loud, brash, over the top, then this really is the film for you. Ignore the strange translation of the title. This is just downright fun. It's a big budget fantasy that works for those who just like their entertainment completely visceral.
1: That's a, It's a film that I've already got tagged into my watch list. Oh, it's silly. When I saw the trailer for it a few weeks ago in the um, upcoming soon section on Netflix, I straight away was like, you know what? I'm bookmarking that because it looks right up my alley. It
0: just looks like the cut pieces out of any video game But that doesn't matter It's done with such dexterity Such fun and, and a homage To so many other movies That you just go with it As opposed to just going It's another silly sci-fi movie It's kind of reminded me of, of the golden age Of sort of uh, the Godzilla movies They're, you know, just relentless action uh, yeah. With buildings being destroyed Right, left and centre So that's our reviews Andy, what can we expect this week? There is only one film, really, that we can expect this week.
1: Yeah, um, and that's now TV and Sky Firestarter. No. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's there's the one film this week, and it's pretty much the only film getting a cinema release this week, and that's Avatar The Way of Water. Hopefully I'll get a chance to see it before next week's show, but with it being three hours ten, it's hard to squeeze in that showtime, but I'm hoping to be able to bring our thoughts on it next week. Uh, now TV and Sky has Firestarter. It's not a good adaptation of a Stephen King novel, but I mean it's worth watching for the performances. Just switch it off half an hour before the end and make up your own ending. Netflix, Who Killed Santa? A Murderville mystery murder mystery. Will Arnett is back in I I loved the Murderville thing where once, it's basically, once I
0: got my head into it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's Fun to see Will Arnett improvising around other people trying to uncover clues, and he's great. And joining him for their Christmas special is Jason Bateman and Maya Rudolph. That's all that I needed to know. Netflix next week, I'm spending some time with this. Amazon has Wonder Woman 84, and also Nanny, which had a limited cinema release recently, and now lands on the streaming service. Disney Plus, National Treasure, Edge of History Season 1 lands this coming week. Um, let's see if it lives up to the hope that the fans of the National Treasure Series have. And Britbox, and this dropped a couple of days ago without me knowing, and I've been campaigning for this over and over every time that Britbox have tweeted out, what would you like to see come? I, Claudius, has finally landed oh, I on Britbox. very fond memories of that show. So I shall be revisiting that show this week and no doubt it'll end up being a neat thing at some point.
0: And that, folks, well, that's it for this week. But you know, before we go, we do it every week. It's our neat thing. Stuff that we've enjoyed that we want to share. Andy, what's your neat thing for this week?
1: My neat thing this week is a concert that I went to this weekend that I'd completely forgotten I had tickets (laughs) for. I'm intrigued. Bit of backstory as to why I forgot that I had tickets for it. You remember earlier this year that I was supposed to have gone to see Adamant, but then he rescheduled twice because of illness. And then it ended up that I was down in Banbury when he was playing his gig in Sheffield and I couldn't go. So my mate took my tickets off me and he went and enjoyed it. And he felt guilty about the fact that he was going to see Adamant when I couldn't, because he knows I'm a huge fan. So he spent the next few weeks looking to see what gigs were coming up and sending suggestions out to me. And he, he... misfired multiple times. He said, like, Belinda Carlisle. I was like, mate, when have I ever come across as a Belinda Carlisle fan? And it got on his about fourth attempt. He messaged out, apparently, the beautiful South. I was like, well, they're not the beautiful South anymore. But yeah, let's go for it. And because it was a concert that was on my week that I normally have off just before Christmas anyway, it completely slipped my mind because I didn't need to book it off. Normally, I'd have to book the time off work to make sure that I'm free. So it completely slipped my mind until... Thursday morning when he sent me a message like, oh, looking forward to the gig tomorrow night. I was like, what, hey?" So this Friday, I went to see Paul Heaton. Well, it was supposed to be the Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott gig. Jackie Abbott has sadly been unwell for the past few weeks and had to cancel their turning up. Some people were claiming their refunds on the tickets because the concert lineup had changed. Those who did, I feel so damn sorry for them because Paul Heaton delivered a fantastic event. His voice hasn't changed over the years. He's still got the same vocal range that he had then. And the concert was a selection of some of their new stuff and also a a good selection of all the classics from the House Martins and Beautiful South Era. And it was an absolute blast from start to finish. Jackie's roles were performed by other members of the band who subbed in. And it was just absolutely memorable. A, A huge event, a packed out show. Um, supported by Billy Bragg who hasn't changed at all he's in great. the years he used to be very activist about like you know the the unions etc in the 80s and he's not changed at all he's That's just he's still carrying that activism through he's also campaigning and activism and he's changed a few lyrics of some of his tracks to reflect more modern activisms, such as, you know, the embracing of uh, transgender roles. And what I love about Billy Bragg is that regardless of what you think about his music, how he links between musics, it's never just a case like a song finishes, then he goes, okay and the next one's going to be. No, he tells a story and he's very engaging and he's humorous. He's a fascinating performer to watch. So this is a great double bill to see Billy Bragg supporting Paul Heaton. And it's made me love the music of Billy Bragg. And the music of the House Martins and the Beautiful South all over again. And I've started delving through loads of Paul Heaton's more recent stuff and realizing wow, we are so blessed to have such great musical artists from the UK and I was so blessed to get a chance to go and see him live
0: have you heard the recent single from the two of them which mentioned Sheffield in the first first line
1: I have yes that's on the their album dropped in October I believe and they played that obviously Jackie wasn't there but uh, yeah we do wish that Jackie um, gets well soon and next time that these pair tour I am lining up for tickets on day one it's been great fantastic
0: uh, my neat thing this week is a book we talked about the film Highlander in our very very first deep dive anyway for my birthday uh, for my dear friend Keith Williams we must get on the show at some time this is a kind of magic the making of the original Highlander this book is so in depth (laughs) that I believe that the rest of the crew and the director, especially the director, it it points out details that everyone seems to have forgot. This is one of those, and there's a a whole slew of these kind of making of books which have have come out over the last couple of years, uh, captures the storytelling of Highlander from its inception through almost every detail of filmmaking. There was stuff that I knew, which I knew intimately. There was stuff that I didn't know. Uh, If you're a fan of the film, then this is the book for you. If you want to learn every single detail of the making of Highlander, including my dear friend Keith Williams, who appears in the book, then uh, give it a go. The only thing it doesn't have in it is the treatment that I wrote for Highlander 2. And that's a story for another day. And that, folks, is it for this week. As it gets closer to Christmas, don't let yourself down and miss a day on your advent calendar and we've got much more to talk about next week. Andy, uh, hopefully I'll see you for Avatar this week.
1: Hopefully. Like I say, it's uh, struggling to try to find time to fit it in, but fingers crossed. It opens on Friday. It might end up being a public show that we have to go and visit. Oh, blimey. Dare we? Dare we? Dare we? But yeah, it's going to be an interesting Christmas to see how well that performs. Aside from that, this week, my week off, I'm just enjoying relaxing at the moment with the snow outside my window.
0: Yeah, it is. It's very festive out there. <laughs> After multiple attempts to record this show, I've,
1: I've tried <laughs> to help
0: my dearly beloved who was uh, uh, stuck in the snow, and we made it to the end. So, Andy, I'll see you next week. Can't do the show without you. It's always a pleasure.
1: It's just a bit of fun on a Sunday for us. It's and then it's a, and a bit of editing on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for me.
0: <laughs> uh, and to all you folks out there, we do this for you. And Andy, I just got my ass kicked by a bunch of Christmas cookies. So trust me when I tell you.
1: I can take it. Hello, Kitten. <laughs> <laughs> My god, Lee, you just pan the camera down and I can see your pussy. Oh, hey.
0: <laughs> That's going to make the outtakes.
1: See, I planned it this week. I am so going to. I am so going to get that bullet sound to put before our, our <laughs> music sting this week. <laughs> How are you, my friend? <coughs> you asked me that just to get a cough. <laughs> so
0: this week's Mastodon Challenge, what is it? Well, I have no f-ing clue because I've not thought of it. <laughs> uh, we've got a stocking-sized bag of delight. Does that sound <laughs> rude?
1: <laughs> I'll start again. It's a it's a euphemism. Lee's got a stocking-sized bag of delight.
0: <laughs> We've got a Christmas stocking filled with delight and treasures that include.
1: It's not getting much this better. Part, is it?
0: <laughs> Just this last week, I watched some of the Little Hammer. What was Steve McQueen? Oh,
1: um, his films. It's a it's shorts that he did. Yeah. Small axe. Yep. Little hammer. <laughs> <laughs> It was
0: the right <laughs> toolbox. That you've had a great time with it.
1: Nah, it was crap. <laughs> All right, so we're done. I'm out <laughs> of